matter if you're a parent, grandparent uh, age, that we that we recognize it. So I uh, appreciate the opportunity, and hopefully everyone has one within eyesight. Did anyone not get one? Did we run out? Everyone's okay? Okay. So everybody has one, young people especially, but hopefully all of you have at least sitting next to someone who's got one. And if, and if you want your own copy, let me know, and I'll burn off some more copies. And like I say, we'll be doing, we'll be continuing this next week. So I would also like you to, to write your name on it, because if it gets left behind, at least we'll know who it belongs to, okay? And, uh, and so then uh, hang on to this for next week and bring it back. I'm not going to hand out a bunch of new copies next week um, just because you left yours at home. So please bring this one back if you would. But tonight we're looking at Lesson 5, and we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And it says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, For this is the will of God. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Fornication is sexual sin. This world is just bombarding us with sexual sin. In fact, the Greek word underneath the English word, in other words, translated from Greek to English, for fornication is usually the word pornea or porn. Okay? Porn. All right? Pornographic. So fornication is that very thing. It's just sexual sin. Uh, that you should abstain from fornication. That's the will of God, your sanctification, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. The word sanctification means set apart, special. Like this is called the sanctuary. We don't usually run in the sanctuary unless you're Bennett. Just kidding, Bennett. Uh, <clears throat> that every one of you should know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor and not in the lust of concupiscence. All right, there's an old word. What does that mean? Not in forbidden desire, the lust of concupiscence, the lust of forbidden desire, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother. Defraud, what's that mean? Cheat in any matter. Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testify. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And so we need to recognize uh, that it's important that we love one another. Verse 9 says, As touching brotherly love, you need you not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. So, it says, don't have any sexual sin or fornication. Stay separated and stay set apart, stay sanctified, and don't defraud one another. And then it says, love one another. Well, which is it? Because you, it, 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 Which is it, Pastor? Because you know why we think that? Because we think that, that that's the same thing. It's not. You love someone, you're not going to defile them. You're not going to ruin or defraud them or uh, compromise them in any way. And so that's what we're talking about tonight. So think about it. Read it from cover to cover. Examine every page. Dating, the word dating, cannot be found in the Bible. In fact, Old Testament Jewish custom provided that parents arranged the marriages of their children. And in other instances, Bible characters met in other ways, fell in love, and then married. But none of them ever, quote-unquote, dated. The term dating has come into use only in the past 100 years as the accepted term of courtship in Western culture. Prior to that time, a young man would come calling or courting, quote-unquote, whether he, we choose to call it dating or courtship or something else, the Bible principles and values must determine our rule for practice. It's not so important that we call it dating or not call it dating. It's just that the world's idea of dating is not what we're talking about tonight. Particularly since 1940, in the 40s, the dating standards of teens have gradually become more and more 
lenient. The increasing mobility of our society has become has made it easier for teens to escape the view and control of parents. Johnny, who once came calling to sit in the parlor with his sweetheart while mom peeped in from the kitchen, can now sweep his sweetheart away in his car far from the view of her nosy parents. With the rise of technology since the 1990s, dating has moved to the palm of our hand, where it is brokered through websites and private text messages and are exchanged at the touch of a screen. Obviously, many practices associated with modern dating clearly ignore Bible principles. Because of this, dating has gained a bad name with many Christian parents, preachers, and youth pastors. So a lot of guys and a lot of people in the Christian world don't like to call it dating because the world has a different definition. Finally, many Christian parents have lowered their standards to non-Christian levels or simply <clears throat> set no standards at all. Now more than ever, it is important for Christian teens to set strong biblical standards for dating and courtship. And when should you do this? Can I just say right now, you should do it now, not after you just start liking somebody. You should, you should draw your lines and your standards and your understanding from the Bible now. You should do it before you ever actually go out on a date, quote-unquote. You should recognize what does the Bible say that I should be doing. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to spend two weeks talking about it. It's very important. The definition, <clears throat> definitions of dating. A date is generally defined as a trip. If you're at the same page as I am, a trip, an activity or other social event attended with a member of the opposite sex. Most teens confine dating to only certain situations or types of activities. Uh, and so we need to recognize the importance of what is it and when you say go on a date. Um, and we'll talk about this, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I'd like you to turn. I think I'm done in First Thessalonians, so let's go to First Corinthians chapter number 7. First Corinthians chapter 7. In verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless to avoid fornication. Remember, there's that word again. To avoid sexual sin. Let every man have his own wife. And let every woman have her own husband. And so it's not that God's against physical contact. But God set up something called marriage for that to happen. That's what God's saying here. To avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. And let every woman have her own. See, husbands and wives aren't committing fornication. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. And the wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. Defraud, there, there's that word again. Defraud you not one the other except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. It's saying, if you decide because of a godly reason of fasting and prayer or whatever, with consent to be separate for a while, that's a decision you make. But it is not to be something that you defraud one another with. I suppose, because I've heard it much that many couples will use this against one another and defraud one another on purpose and hold it over their head or something. That's, that's wrong. And of course, I know that there's a lot of marriage issues and breakdowns and things that happen, but it ought not be. Uh, and God's design for marriage is honorable. And Hebrews 
Hebrews 13 says, the bed is honorable, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. But a young person who's not married or an older person who's not married needs to understand the proper way to conduct themselves. And back there in verse 1 and 2, it says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, if we literally believe that, then we would not have handshaking time on Sundays. So obviously when it says not to touch a woman, we understand the context is not just a handshake. It has to do with a more intimate touch, obviously. Now, we read a minute ago about the 1940s, and that might seem extreme to go back that far. But really, it's, it's at least that, that, that biblical standards and the world standards are different. And of course, Hollywood has a different standard. I would I would imagine even some of the cleanest shows that you watch, there's going to be kissing of some kind of non-married people. One of my favorite, in fact, my favorite Hollywood movie, and I don't have very many favorite Hollywood movies, would be It's a Wonderful Life. But even in that one, they're not following biblical standards in all areas, although compared to today's world, it's fairly clean. But you understand what I'm saying. And all of us who are married and all of us who are, can I say it this way, experienced, we understand that this is like gunpowder and, and a match. There's something that God's put within us and our natural, natural bodies and our nature that we are turned on and we are stimulated. And it is important that we understand and recognize God's safety valves. The guys were talking about the coal mines and how the, all these safety things that you, that you have. Safety things are there for a reason. Sometimes they're goofy, but they're there for a reason. And God, when he puts something in the word of God, it's not goofy. It's there because it's there to protect us. And so when my daughter and John Mark got married almost a year ago, you saw them kiss for the very first time. And, and that's not a brag. That's just the way the Bible would have us to think of it. Now, I realize somebody might not have done it that way. But I'm going to tell you right now, when I drove a propane truck, there was a lot of rules that you had to follow. And I'll just be honest with you. I mean, one of the rules of the propane truck was you turn the engine off, you hang the key over the hose, and then you fill the whole truck. Then when it's full, then you unhook the hose, put it back, and then you go back in and you turn the truck on and start the truck. I'm going to tell you something. Most of the time when you deliver propane, it's cold outside. It's freezing. Can I be just honest with you? I didn't, and neither did some of the other guys turn the engine off all the time. We kept it running, and we filled our trucks with it running. That was a no-no, but we knew that the, the, the reason for the rule was because somebody somewhere at one time drove off without the hose unhooked and blew himself up. But I knew I wasn't going to do that, and I knew I wanted to sit in the cab with the heater on and not freeze to death while the stupid truck's filling up. But what I'm trying to tell you is, is that rules are for a reason. And you can break some rules and get by with it, but you are treading on thinner ice when you do that. Please don't, please don't whisper or mumble and say, well, we did this or we did that and nothing happened. Listen, hold on a second. That doesn't mean it's a good idea. Okay? Please don't push that. Please understand what the Bible says. And, and here's what I like about it is, is that my daughter and her husband could get to know each other in every other way except for that way. 
Whereas in the world's view, that's the first way you get to know each other. And it's usually causes everything else to be confuddled and confused. And there could be some adults listening to me tonight saying, I wish I'd have known this when I was a kid. And so appreciate the fact that we're teaching it to our young people and appreciate it for other reasons as well. So let's use some examples here. Which of the following examples would you call a date and why? In contrast, which would you classify as a courtship? William picked Lauren up at 7 p.m. in his new yellow Mustang. Lauren loved Italian food, and Tony served the best in town. The waiter seated them in a remote corner booth and presented them with a large platter of appetizers before taking their order. The entire evening seemed like a dream to Lauren. At last, the end came as William walked Lauren to the front door and kissed her goodnight. Well, <clears throat> there's a couple reasons I don't necessarily like that one, and I would call that more of a worldly date, although... In the world's eyes, that would be a pretty harmless date for them. Let's go to the second one. William picked up Lauren at six or 7 p.m. in his new yellow Mustang. Lauren loved Italian food, and Tony served the best in town. By the way, there's nothing wrong with yellow Mustangs or Italian food or a guy named Tony Though, or eating at 7 o'clock. The waiter seated them in a remote corner booth and presented them with a large platter of appetizers before taking their order. Their appetizers are the best, said William's dad as he reached for another. And I deserve the best after riding in that crowded back seat with your, in your Mustang with your mom. We would call this chaperone dating. In this case, it was mom and dad in the back seat. This is what Pastor Matt and Miss Wilma did. When we were in Bible college, sometimes our parents weren't around. And so we would ask someone else to take go with us, and, and uh, we'd either pay for them and me, I'd either have to pay for that couple and us, or then the the couple would graciously offer to pay for their own. But that's how we did it. That was the rule. I think it was a good rule. And um, even when we were back on the farm. Now, I, I'll, I'll just tell you, when we were on the farm in Missouri, and I was there visiting, parents are in the house, Wilma and I might go outside and take a walk. But we didn't touch each other. But their parents, her parents were okay with that. That was their, you know, that was their call. But if we were to go out, leave the property, we didn't go in the same car by ourselves. We just didn't. Man, that is pretty square. You can call it square if you want, but it kept us from doing things we shouldn't have done. Russell walked Jennifer to the car where Brother Harvey and his wife sat patiently waiting. The two couples laughed and joked as they made their way to Tony's Italian restaurant. Afterward, the Harveys invited them over for popcorn and some board games. It's not parents. It's just some other folks that they know. Nathan waited nervously for Amy to arrive. At last, there she was, dressed in a stunning, full-length lavender dress. Nathan presented his arm and walked Amy up the stairs into the banquet room. Flowers and crystal glasses sat elegantly in the linen, on the linen tablecloths. Nathan seated Amy at the table before taking his own seat next to her. It was certain to be an unforgettable evening. It was the finest senior banquet that the church youth ministry had ever sponsored. There's nothing really I have a problem with that other than maybe he might not have wanted to present his arm uh, because that wouldn't necessarily be in line with what we're talking about tonight. But I have no problem with the idea of a fine banquet. As a matter of fact, that's why we go to Montana because they put on a banquet every year and we dress up. And it's, it's kind of a neat thing. 
and it's an opportunity to meet other people. You know, one of the reasons, now this is not the reason, but one of the reasons to always go and fellowship with other youth groups is we get to know other youth besides our own. And uh, once in a while, you might actually meet someone from another church that you kind of are interested in. Right, Joseph? <laughs> Last week, Joseph met somebody in Nebraska. And I understand they already talked on the phone. And he's about to kill me. We'll keep going. <clears throat> Letter C. Parents, parents may view dating as the entire scope of activities related to courtship. Christian dating, better referred to as courtship, differs from the world's concept of dating because it is governed by predetermined guidelines and standards. That's the key. You 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 plan ahead. You 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 listen to stuff like this and you say, "Well, I'm I'm not even a parent yet, but you will be someday probably." And so when you are a young person, you need to know this for yourself and then you need to know it, know it for your children and you might need need to know it for your grandchildren to help them. But the point is, is that it should be planned ahead. Your definition of dating can have a lot to do with whether or not dating is acceptable for Christian teens. So we need to recognize the importance of understanding what we call dating or what we understand it to be and what the Bible would have us to understand. The misconceptions about dating. So here are some misconceptions. You must be alone. Danger, high voltage. I don't know the name of the song. I'm sure if I start to sing it, you'll get you'll get the tune in your head, and I don't want to do that. But there's a there's one line in it that says something like, "I think we're alone now," and that's just the way the world would have it. And I understand. I mean, but at the same time, why do you need to be alone? Think about that. Letter B: Parents cannot be a part of your dating life. That's not a date if your parents are around. Well, that's a misconception. Their presence is a hindrance. Their approval is not necessary. Now, hold on a second. Before my daughter ever fell in love with a guy, I had to decide if that guy was even something I wanted her to be around. The world says girls fall in love with a guy and then come home and say, Dad, I'm in love with this guy. That's the world's way of doing it. My way of doing it, according to what I understand from the Bible, is, hey, if there's a guy interested in you, you tell me. You know what I mean? He's interested in you, you tell me. And, and you get my approval and make sure that I'm okay with this guy. And if they, he doesn't want to talk to me, well, there's a red flag. And uh, if you watched that movie, what was it, Courageous, I think it was, when the dad started to ask the boy questions, he's getting all frustrated. Well, that's the way it is today. But a young man needs to have that kind of respect. Joseph has had that respect already. Contacted this young lady's pastor because there is no father to, to contact. And uh, through her pastor has made that connection. Uh, that's a good thing. That's protection for her and it's respectful. Their approval is not necessary. How wrong it is if your parents are the last ones to find out about your relationship. And we know how that can be. Let her see. You cannot date to a church or a Christian activity. That's that's not a date if, if it's church or Christian activity. Why? D, a nice date will cost a fortune. No, no, it doesn't have to. If it does have to, that ought to be a real red flag. 
if you have to spend a lot of money to make her happy, good luck with that, pal. You're going to be doing that the rest of your life. A nice date will cost for it. Doesn't have to. Doesn't need to. Letter E, the guy always pays the bill. Now, normally I would agree with that. But you know what? Since we're setting up what we've set up, it wouldn't be unreasonable for parents or chaperone to help with the bill or offer to pay the whole thing. I'm going to just stop right here and say something. If you want to go on a date and you and you take me as a chaperone, I'll pay for it. I'm not talking to you, Mr. Spear. I'm talking to these people that aren't married yet. <laughs> I'm not taking Jeff Pryor and Robin to the Alpine. <laughs> they can go on their own. They can handle it. But if you are not married and you want to go on a date, I will take you and I'll pay for it. Once, not every week, <clears throat> but I would be glad if, if you have that kind of respect and you, you know, I, I'd be glad to, to I, I mean, I'd, I'd be like, man, I'm just thankful that you would ask us to go with you and, and I would be glad for you. Of course, if I think the guy's a bum, I might not go at all. But anyway, you know what I mean. All dates must be romantic and dreamy experiences. Hi, yay yay. All dates must be romantic. Um, don't let the world and don't let the TV and the movies tell you what romance is. They don't really know. Don't let them tell you what love is. You can only be dating one girl or one boy at a time. Now, here's the thing. I don't think it's saying here that, you know, we're supposed to be two-timing or something like that. But, but the point is this, is that a lot of people, and especially young people, they're madly in love. I remember Pastor Lily, when I was a teenage boy in Wyoming, Pastor Lily told about his brother. He said, my brother was madly in love with his girlfriend, like a junior in high school, all the way through his senior year of high school, and like two weeks before graduation, boom, they had a big blow up and they broke up. He said, I was excited because I finally got to talk to my brother again. I hadn't talked to him for two years. But they just sit on the porch and stare at each other and you know, spend all this time... And then he said, and the thing was, is after they broke up, they never did get back together. And it was like, you wasted two years of your life, man. The point is this, is that everybody thinks they're madly in love and they can't see the whole th story because they won't see the whole story. They can only see one side. Learn to get to know everybody. You know, learn to have friends rather than just zeroing in on one person. And, 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 and take it easy and take it slow. And it's okay if you're 25 years old, isn't it, Joseph? It's okay. Because somebody out there might just be 25 years old too. It's okay. <laughs> Caleb texted me yesterday. I am in trouble with Caleb now too. He texted me yesterday. He said, Joseph, call me Sunday. And then he sent this picture, and it shows this picture of these these two little kids madly in love and here and this other kid over here crammed his face full of food and it says everybody's madly in love and I'm over here like <laughs> it's all in God's time but but better to be patient and slow than to be madly in love and then what did we do all that that was kind of, I let all my hormones and all my flesh make the decision. So, so just, so, so don't be, I don't want to say date around because that doesn't sound right, but, 
get to know everyone and, and not get just locked in on one person, especially as teenagers. All right. All right. <clears throat> so those are the misconceptions. Now, here are the Bible principles. Here's what we get from the Bible. Principle number one, <clears throat> mom and dad must approve. Mom and dad must approve. If mom and dad don't approve, it, it ought to be a deal breaker. God, the heavenly father, arranged the very first marriage. Genesis chapter 2 tells us that God, God was the parents. God was the parent of Adam and Eve, all right? They didn't have parents. God was their parent. And he arranged that. And he introduced them. Teens are instructed in Exodus 20, part of the Ten Commandments, honor thy father and thy mother. It is important that your parents appreciate or respect the person that you have an interest in. Let me just stop right here and say, the reason why you're so excited about someone who's interested in you is because they're interested in you. That's what gets us all excited but that's really kind of selfish and self-centered. And we, we need to stop and say, but, but, but maybe I'm just all excited because they're interested in me instead of realizing, but that doesn't mean it's right. And maybe their motives are not right. <clears throat> and I need to find out what my parents think. And if your parents are Christians, then that's a no-brainer. But even if your parents aren't Christians, you need to still respect your parents. Now, <clears throat> if your parents aren't Christians, they probably are going to have lower standards than you are and not really care about much. But understand, I think either way, if your parents have a problem, you need to understand that's a, a warning for you. That's a red flag. <clears throat> and um, unless you've got a parent that's just a wicked person, they're going to they're gonna care about you and want to try to help you. And so honor your father and your mother. And then the experience of parents is valuable. Their experience is valuable. They've they've had heartbreaks and heartaches and they've messed up and done things wrong and they've learned lessons and they just know and they've seen other people that mess their lives up and they just know. So I'm going to read you these verses. Proverbs 1 verse 8 and 9. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. My son, I want you to listen to what I'm saying. Chapter 6 and verse 20. My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. <clears throat> uh, I appreciate our daughter. She's the only one of our children that have gotten married. I appreciate our daughter having a respect for me and what I want. And she would bounce everything off of me from, uh, you know, off, off of me to make sure it was okay with me before she did. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> The Sunday before she got married, she got married on a Friday. The Sunday night that she got married, before she got married, I taught on the the traditional things that we do in a marriage, in a wedding, and I talked about the veil and how the veil actually show, you know, has a sim symbolic meaning. And I'm a guy; I have no idea that this is the case, but apparently, in most weddings now, women don't wear the veil over their face; they just walk in with the veil flipped over, or that you know, it's just a fake veil. How many of you knew that? I had no idea. So anyway, um, and I think it's for the photo op thing. I don't know. I'm not sure. But anyway, um, so I mentioned about the veil and how that, you know, there's even symbolism in the, in the, in the groom lifting the veil and, and, and all that. So that Sunday night after church, Hannah said, Dad, my veil doesn't flip over. 
and you just taught that. I said, well, can you get another veil? And she went on Amazon and bought a different veil and didn't wear the one she had planned to wear. And nobody knows that until now. Um, and, and funny thing is, an uh, older lady friend of my mom sitting real close by said, wow, it's neat to see a bride with a veil on. Whatever. But the point is, is that she wanted to honor me even the last week. You know, it's not like we we're going to call the wedding because of her veil. But I appreciated the heart behind it. And I appreciate that. And so you can trust that. You know that there's an honoring there. I want to do it just like mom and dad would have me to do it. Proverbs 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live in my laws, the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister. Call understanding thy kinswoman, that they may keep thee from the strange woman. That's why you need to listen. And then chapter 5, verse 1, My son, attend unto my word, wisdom, bow thine ear to my understanding, that thy, thou mayest regard discretion, that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as in honeycomb. And uh, uh, it goes on to warn about this woman. And uh, so it says, verse 7, Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, depart not from the words of my mouth. So lots of places where you see where Proverbs is saying, listen to your parents, listen to the wisdom of your parents. Let your parents tell you things that you might not think are a big deal or whatever. And don't decide that your parents are dumb and wrong about everything. Even if your parents aren't saved or even if they don't always do things right, your parents have some wisdom. They have experience. Listen to them and, and take it seriously. So practical. Dating and courtship can be an explosive issue between parents and teens. Teens may shut parents out feeling that it is a private matter or because they feel that their parents are strict and overbearing. In, real, in reality, parents may be concerned for several very good reasons. And all I want to say is, and, and if you've not watched it, you need to watch this old video we got on the shelf called Pamela's Prayer. Pamela's Prayer is a really good story, and it really illustrates, and, and I think these young people have seen it, and I show it every couple of years. It's just a good illustration of how tough it is. I mean, teenagers, they're under a lot of peer pressure. People gossip, blah, blah, blah. Your dad, mom's so square. You're never going to enjoy life. You're never going to get married, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of stuff. But you know what? Kids, you can't argue with your parents. They're your parents. God gave you them. And, and how can God bless you in your marriage if you are disrespecting to your authority? The blessing is when you can hand off the daughter to her new authority. And it's not like, good luck, pal. Boy, is she a case but rather she's submissive to me, now she's going to be submissive to you. So let's look at the reasons and remedies in this box. Two columns here. Mistrust, reasons. Your previous actions have destroyed their trust and confidence in your character. Trust must be earned. Once it has lost, it, it's difficult to regain. The reason why your parents might not trust you is because they have reason to not trust you. You have you destroyed their trust. So what's the remedy? Keep your word. Make your bed. Take care of your responsibilities. Do your chores. Obey. Keep your word. Honor the wishes of your parents, even when they are not looking. Don't live a secret life. Keep your actions, your attitudes, and your activities out in the open. Man, I'll tell you what. You want your parents to treat you like they can trust you? Prove that they can't trust you. Stop using their 
well, my mom, she's grumpy sometimes. That doesn't mean that you're allowed to be grumpy. Well, my dad's not perfect. That doesn't mean you're allowed to not do your chores. Do your job. They'll trust you. They'll and, and keep your word. Don't lie. Don't be dishonest and secret, secretive. They know the danger of sexual impurity. Let's face it. Hormones are not new. Parents know how easily even a good kid can fall into immorality. They may trust you, but not your hormones. And like somebody said, it's not that I don't trust my kid. I just don't trust the devil. Never give your parents reason to doubt your intentions. Avoid questionable actions and situations and never arrange secret meetings with a girl or boyfriend. And by all means, don't trust your sinful flesh. Beware of your own nature. Beware. You can't. You, you might think you're strong, but the Bible says, take heed lest you fall. They know the danger of injury because of their love for you. Parents can't help being concerned about your safety when you are away from them. They're concerned. They're worried. They're, what is she doing? What's he doing while I'm not around? If your parents seem overly concerned, try letting them know your plans before going places. Phoning to tell them where you are or coming home earlier than you had to be home, earlier than the curfew. Show some responsibility, and not just because you're trying to get away with something later, but just as respectful, all right? And then also in the box, they are afraid of losing you. I want you to listen to this. Up until now, they have been your closest earthly companions. You spent most of your time with them, and they were your first love. Suddenly, all that you want to talk about is John Mark. Excuse me. Getting a little personal there. You asked to go out several times a week with John Mark. You want to walk, talk, and sit with John Mark at every opportunity. When you're at home, you slip into a sort of digital hypnosis, and you're on the cell phone with John Mark all the time. And what's funny about it is, is that Joshua used to give Hannah a hard time. Now we're giving Joshua a hard time because he's starting to get into a digital hypnosis too. He likes somebody. I don't know who it is, but he likes somebody. But the point is, is that your parents spend a lot of time and money on you. Not just because you're an investment, but because they love you. And so don't forget that it's hard for them to see you start to like somebody else. It's not easy for them to see you start to like some other guy besides death. But you know what? That does happen. So don't throw your parents away just because you have a boyfriend or girlfriend. Keep communicating with them. Talk to them about what's going on in your world and ask for their advice and then use it when you ask for it. Not a good idea to ask for it and then not use it. Never make a commitment to a girl or boyfriend without first discussing it with your parents. Above all, tell them what you love them, that you love them, and show it by your actions and attitudes. Don't forget <clears throat> how much they love you. And, 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 and understand this. Your parents love you more than the guy does and more than the girl does. And and it's going to, it's going to, you know, it's going to be a transition, but I mean, your parents love you more than anybody else does. And so don't spit on that. Be careful and be wise. Eventually your husband or wife is going to love you more 
but it's going to be a while. All right, letter B. Principle number two, avoid the unequal yoke. We're just going to finish with this tonight on this page and the next page, and we'll be done, this half page and the next page. First, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 and 15. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And the picture shows what a yoke is. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Light and darkness do not get together. You turn on the light, the darkness leaves. And what concord hath Christ with Belial or Satan? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? A yoke was a large wooden beam used to link two animals together so that their strength could be combined for working. If the animals were not equally matched in strength and size and temperament, they would pull and struggle against each other, and they would fight each other and hurt each other, and they wouldn't work as a team. The work was either hindered or impossible, and God says that Christians should not be yoked together with non-Christians. When applied to dating and courtship, this principle teaches us that it is unwise for a Christian to date or court a non-Christian. My rule was, when I was a kid, and it was my rule for my kids, if you can't marry them because of the Bible, then you ought not be dating them. If you know that God would not want you to marry that person, then dating them is out of the question. It just doesn't make any sense that you would do that. Why go there? And so do not even entertain that. If they're not somebody that you believe would be an honorable thing to marry, then don't consider it. It's not worth it. It's not, don't do it. And don't be unequally yoked. That's the big thing. Don't raise your hand, but on Sunday, you probably have seen a single woman or a single man. They're not really single, but they come to church by themselves. And you know what sometimes the reason is? Not all the case, but you know what sometimes the reason is? They married an unsaved person. I've had people say to me, I, I, I knew better, but I didn't listen to what I knew. And my spouse is still not saved. And and so they can't be in church as much as they'd like to be because the spouse doesn't want them to be. And they can't do nearly as much as they would like to do because the spouse not interested or maybe even doesn't want them to come. And I'll say this, you might look around and say, but, but so-and-so got saved and so-and-so. So, I mean, surely, surely I could marry this guy and then he could get saved. That's not usually how it works. Usually God has a lot more grace for the person who didn't know better than the one who disobeyed what they knew. My parents didn't know. My mom got saved at vacation Bible school at a different church than she normally went to. She went to a dead, lousy community church. She got saved at a Baptist church in a vacation Bible school, but that's all she knew is she got saved. So when my mom met my dad, they got married. He wasn't saved. But God had mercy and grace on their lives, and he got saved. And that, that's a gracious thing. That's just a mercy. But there are a lot of people who just ignore what they should know and marry the wrong person and ignore all the warnings and all the rules and everything. And God doesn't have the same grace for that person. 
and, and, and all I can say is it's, it's a heartbreak. And don't be that person. You don't need to. Those of you who aren't married, you don't need to go down that road. So let's finish by talking about this equal yoke. Man was created as three-part being, body, soul, spirit. So you've got a Christian boy and a Christian girl. Christian boy, physical body. Christian girl, physical body, equal yoke. Uh, Christian boy, soul, mental, equal yoke. Girl, soul, mental, spiritual, spiritual, equal yoke. All right, they're both Christian. We have a video in our library called One Blood. It's about one race. Humankind is all one race. There isn't the white race and the black race. There's just one race. It's called the human race. When I was a kid, I was taught in churches, and I was taught and, and led to believe that black people should not marry white people. White people should not marry black people. I love that video because it says, the only type of person that should not marry another person is a saved person marrying an unsaved person. Skin color has nothing to do with it. <clears throat> and uh, that video in the library is worth your time to watch. Um, when you get saved, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that you're quickened. That means you're made alive. And so when you're made alive, the Holy Spirit indwells within you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. If someone's here tonight and they're not saved, they're like, this is the dumbest stuff I've ever listened to in my whole life. Nobody on planet Earth does this except for these weird people. That's because the natural man doesn't receive the, the spiritual things. Verse 15, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, or discerneth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man, or understood of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that we may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So the, the saved Christian boy has a spiritual direction, and she has a spiritual direction. He is convicted of sin, and she is convicted of sin. I hope that there are times in your life when you realize that you're sinful, that you've done something wrong, and you're convicted of it. And I hope that your partner, and that you know that of your partner, otherwise your, your, your friend, your boyfriend, girlfriend, otherwise that's a bad sign if they're never convicted of their sin and there's never any spiritual direction. He is corrected when wrong, and he, res and he has restraints. She is corrected when wrong, and she has restraints. In other words, they receive correction, and they are willing to obey and, and submit to him. These things are a good thing. So he is corrected when wrong and he has restraints. Same thing with her. This couple is, this couple can be a perfect match. They can be matched physically, mentally, and spiritually. Both are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. When they fall in love and marry, they can pull together. They can pull together to accomplish God's will and purpose for their lives. The unequal yoke ruins a lot of your potential. I can take you to the house. They don't live there anymore. Someone else lives there. But I can take you to the house not far from here where I sat and visited with a family and the guy was raised in a preacher's home, a Baptist preacher's home. And I met the, I met the dad before I met the son. This, the dad said, would you go to my son's house? He lives right there in Custer. And he said, my son, I believe, is saved, but my son married a Mormon woman. And so I went and I visited with him and she wanted nothing to do with it. It was obvious to me that she ran most of the house. 
and she was not going to give in or be submissive to him, especially in the area of church or spiritual things. But it was, a, it was obviously a grief to the father and mother. They were grieved by their son and their grandchildren. They had beautiful little granddaughters, but they were going to the Mormon church. Why? Because someone ignored the yoke stuff. And by the way, Mormonism is not Christianity. It's another Jesus and another gospel. They ignored all of that. And it's just sad. It was sad to watch. They're not even in town anymore. They've moved several years ago. So here's how it works. And and you can, I did this. I drew a pyramid in the middle of the page. I drew a pyramid in the middle of the page. And I have God at the top, very top point of the pyramid. And then one side I have him. And on the other point down below, I have her. And when you are focused on God, man, you're focused on God. You're getting closer to God. Woman, you're focused on God. You're getting closer to God. But the cool thing is, is that you're getting closer to each other. As you focus on God, you get closer to each other in the right way. So here's how it works. God is a binding force who is the creator and source of true love. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 says, God is love. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So people don't even really know the ultimate love if they don't know God. And there's no wonder that most marriages are falling apart because they don't have God as the glue and they don't understand true love. I mean, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, what did Jesus do? He died on the cross. He gave his life for the church. I mean, you can't ask for a better thing than that. If you're a woman, you can't ask for a husband to love you better than that. I mean, who would not like the Bible? It teaches the awesomest love there is. And it demonstrates it. God is love. I know there are people who loved one another and they demonstrated a true love for one another. And maybe they had a a godly principle in their life they didn't even realize without knowing the Bible. But the point is, is that God is love. And you can't truly be satisfied until you get to know God. And so think of that pyramid. So the Christian boy is dedicated in seeking God's will. All right? The Christian boy, the Christian young man, maybe he's 25 years old. Maybe his pastor said, you know what, Joseph, I think you should go to a bus conference and learn more about Sunday school buses and working with children. And and uh, you're going to have to take off a couple of days of work to do it, but I think it would be worth it for you to go. And uh, Josh and Sam and, you know, Daniel could go too. And and so this young Christian boy named Joseph, he listens to his pastor, and so he just goes. <clears throat> Meanwhile, there's this Christian girl, all right? And she's at the church where they're hosting this bus conference, and she's dedicated to seeking God's will too. Am I pushing this a little too much? Am I getting a little far down the road here? Should we just go ahead and set a date on a calendar? No, just... <laughs> I sure hope she never watches any of our stuff. She got scared... Man, their pastor's nuts. But just the illustration, though, it's just it's humorous. But 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 the point is, is that how awesome is it when you meet, when you meet someone 
and you're both kind of focused on God, but you run into each other. That's just awesome. It's the way it should be. And the closer they get to God, the closer they get to each other. Years ago, <clears throat> we were babysitting this little two-year-old girl. <clears throat> Their mom, her mom, the little girl with mom was having a Christmas party at her workplace. And so it was December and <clears throat> and it was snowy. And she, when the mom finally came back, it was the mom and dad, the mom and dad together. We were supposed to be mom and dad, but I think it was just the mom. And when she came back to pick up the girl, she got stuck in our road. And so we had to go down there and help pull her, push her out, finally get her out. And she came, and she was just a mess. She was a basket case, emotional, crying, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> and she's sitting at our kitchen table, and she's just sobbing. And I don't even know this person. I just know that we're watching her little girl. And I'm like, it must have been a really bad Christmas party, you know? I mean, what'd you do, get a bad gift? I don't get it. I mean, it's just, well, what happened is, is that at the Christmas party, she found out that her husband had been fooling around and defrauding and cheating her. So it just tore, I mean, it just broke her heart, you know, and just, ugh. And so she's sitting at my table just sobbing and making a pool of tears on the table. And, and so we're starting to talk and trying to, and, and of course the first thing I'm thinking is I just need to witness to her. You know, I just need to, and so I talk to her about salvation. I talk to her about being born again. And, and, and I go through the whole gospel message of salvation. And I said, would, would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? And she said, I did, I am. I said, you are? And she said, yes. I said, well, when did you get saved? She said, back, I think it was East River. And, uh, and I think it was like Awana, kind of like Anchor Club. And sounded like she knew what she was talking about. And so I said, wow. I said, do you think your husband is saved? She shook her head. I said, well, where did you meet? Would you like to know the answer to that question? If you're in the wrong place, you're not, you're not following God, see? So don't you think maybe if you're going the wrong way, you might meet the wrong person? I mean, if we turn the pyramid upside down, is it possible that you can meet the wrong person as opposed to just focusing on the Lord and meeting the right person? Like Job Martin used to say, uh, it's like the outfield, you know, you hit a baseball and it's a pop fly and the center fielder's running and the right fielder's running. I got it, I got it. You've seen this sometimes and boom, they both, where'd you come? Well, we're chasing the same ball. And that's kind of how it should be. You're just chasing the same thing and you run into each other. Right, Joseph? And that's how it ought to be. But as we close this tonight, let me just say, when we read that in First Thessalonians about defrauding one another, that was talking about fornication. That's talking about before you're married. So, well, if, I'm, if, if we're not married, it's not adultery. You're right. If, if neither one of you are married, it's not adultery, but it can still be fornication. And the problem with that is, is that you're hurting somebody else. Don't misunderstand me because my wife is not a truck. But I don't want to have a wife that's been used and has miles on the odometer. Sometimes I've never bought a brand new car. I've never bought a brand new vehicle. But I have had one that was a rental. 
And the thing about a rental is people that rent vehicles usually don't always take care of them very well. And so our, our van that we bought used was a rental vehicle that we bought. And it had a cigarette burn right in the center seat of the seat there. It had some marks of use. But for a rental, it wasn't in bad shape. But boy, sometimes you, you can tell someone did not take care of this thing. But either way, you feel like someone kind of cheated me a little bit because they burnt a hole in the seat. And there's nothing like feeling defrauded when you find out that your spouse isn't a virgin on your wedding day. You feel cheated. You feel like somebody else defrauded you. See, if, even if you're not married and you go ahead and fool around with somebody, you're taking from them. And you're taking from the other person who's eventually going to marry them. I'm thankful that Miss Wilma did never say to me, you know, you're not quite as good a kisser as George was. My friend George back in high school, you're just not quite as good a kisser as George or Hank or Ralph. That would have made me feel very good. And it's, it's, it's just something that we need to recognize the world doesn't think about. You follow the Hollywood crowd, they are just filthy to the core. This open marriage swap partner stuff is just raunch. That's the way they think. But you and I, we have opportunity to be different, and our young people have opportunity to be different. So the box says, Brandon stood calmly as the three girls turned and walked away. Why do you do that, Brandon? You just let those three beautiful girls slip through your fingers. You could have had your pick, man, said Patrick. No thanks, replied Brandon. <clears throat> None of those girls are born-again Christians. Why should I settle for second best when I can pray and God will give me a Christian girl? And when we say Christian, don't just settle with the fact that they say they're a Christian. Because even if you are both saved, if one of you is is spiritually mature and one of you is not, that's really going to be an unequal yoke as well until they grow up. So be careful. Don't just settle on Christian. <clears throat> but make sure that you are truly on the same page and yoked as God would have you to be. We'll stop there. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for opportunity to be together in your word. Help each young person especially to take this seriously and parents and grandparents that we all would recognize the potential and the importance and the dangers and the pitfalls because, oh, if the young people in this room would get married to the right person, the one you have, the perfect will, their lives are going to be so much more effective, so much greater, so much better, and Satan knows it. And so he wants that to not happen. So Lord, please help us to encourage them, not discourage them. Help us to pray for them and encourage them as best we know how to be patient, wait, be godly, be pure, be sanctified, and ignore the world so that we can rejoice at what you're doing in their lives and how you're making something of them. Thank you, God, for your word. It is the guidebook. Help us to follow it. In Jesus' name, amen.